Hello there. Hello there. Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> what what an episode of Kenobi that was. That what a what 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 we we I think we're still bad it's fair to say we're we're both processing this. We haven't even introduced ourselves. Welcome to Force Material. I'm Rowan Williams and I'm Baz McAllister. And we are we are currently coming down from the the high of watching uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi finale. Mm. Baz, what are your what are your thoughts? What are you what's knocking around inside your head at the moment? What a journey! What mm. a journey! I was talking to my wife about it today, and I, and I you know I said that should have been a movie, but I don't mean that as a criticism of anything. Mm. I mean what what we got was amazing television, but. You know that that should have been the number one movie of 2022. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and probably would have been had it been released like that. But yeah, I don't mean to do it down at all. I, I'm really happy with what we got. Um, I just, you know, I kind of want it to reach a wider audience, if that makes sense, to to be more in the public consciousness than it was. Mm. I think it was very much in the consciousness of Star Wars fans and. And the casual kind of sci-fi fan, but I, you know, this could have been Top Gun Maverick. It could have been like the massive crowd pleaser that everyone needed mm. in the cinemas. You know. Anyway, that's a down note. Uh, <laughs> it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be a down note. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I will say I agree with you. This would have been incredible to see in cinemas, but it was also pretty sick to be able to just, you know, watch it again immediately. <laughs> or, you know, or just go straight back to that uh, to that Hayden Ewan scene uh, straight oh. after it was over and watch it again. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a luxury we we never had with the the cinema uh, releases. That's true. That was one of the best scenes, one of the best sequences, I suppose, in all of Star Wars history. I think absolutely, and you know, the symbolism of of having Hayden. And James L. Jones' voices kind of overlapping, mm. yeah. You know, uh, and this story coming at sort of the you know the the midpoint of the the prequels and the original trilogy, um, and this sort of being the point where they overlap um, was was incredible. Um, you know, Hayden Christensen on on screen for you know half of his face on screen for maybe a minute, two minutes, if that, and. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the performances of the year, just yeah. unbelievable. He's acting, yeah, as you say, half his face is visible. He's in heavy makeup as well. Mm. Can't see his mouth, and he's mm. he's sort of acting through this vocoder, which is kind of mo- modulating his voice between his own voice and James Earl Jones's voice, and a kind of mix of the two. But his delivery of "I did," mm. oh my god, it just there's so many feelings in that. You know, there mm. was a kind of a half pride at you know claiming this victory over someone he saw as the weak version of himself but half mm. like regret you know it's, oh it was so good it was so well done it's un- it's inc- I've, I've watched that scene at least 10 times it's uh amazing that i mean you said you know we couldn't see his mouth but when in that moment when he says i did you can kind of see you know, it's like the edge of a mm. grin, I guess, or whatever yeah. you'd call that, where it's like, as you say, there's an element of, you know, he's he's proud of what he's done. The, yeah. You know, it's like, it's it's almost like we're talking, we're looking at a, you know, a possession um, mm. where, yeah. you know, the, this this malevolent spirit 
has essentially taken over the body of this character that we knew, um, which, you know, is probably that's giving Anakin an out he doesn't deserve because he chose this. But, you know, it, it, there is that kind of feeling to it as well, I think. Yeah. I, well, I suppose, if, you know, you can choose to do the demonic ritual. Mm. Um, <laughs> but then the possession <laughs> is, is someone else's. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And I've never thought about that before. But I have been thinking all day about how I always had issues seeing Anakin and Darth Vader as the same person. I all, mm. I, I just never really... In in the same way as you know, you can see Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor as the same person, and mm. that's fine. I just couldn't reconcile Anakin with Vader at all for some reason until today, really fully. Uh, I think reading Mike Chen's Brotherhood helped as well, mm. but uh, that episode really cemented it in place. You know, I saw, now I saw they're you say that. What um, I saw you say that on Twitter. What about Brotherhood? Like just sort of jog my memory, I guess. Like what? Which I know, obviously, Brotherhood sort of synthesized the the Hayden Anakin and the Matt Lanter Anakin um, really successfully. I'm trying to remember though, like what was it about it that kind of made you feel that the Anakin Vader, um, you know, synergy? It, I guess, it just it showed Anakin's. what's the word foolhardiness i suppose mm-hmm. recklessness mm-hmm. um just unwilling he's unwilling to sort of compromise with anyone else who has a plan it's his way or the highway i, I just really mm-hmm. you know i got a strong sense of that is going to be his downfall mm-hmm. you know in in that book and, and it really it gave me a deeper insight into anakin than i've ever had before as well like mm-hmm. it really it really gets his character mm-hmm. and I, I find that that between the prequels and the cartoons and you know, other novelizations and stuff, I find that that's been a little bit bitsy mm. and sketchy. And, and I think that um, it really had a handle on who he is, what his relationship with Obi-Wan is, what his relationship with Padme is, what his relationship with Dexter Jester is. You know, just <laughs> it, really, it, it really sort of spelled out. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, I mean, what Obi-Wan's relationship with Dexter Jester is. It, it really spelled out all these um, these broken links that I had in my head. You know, and it just helped join up the dots and got me ready for for this episode. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Well, yeah, there you go, guys. Another reason to read uh, Mike Chen's Brotherhood. Yeah. But, yeah, mm-hmm. this, this scene in the show, absolutely, Baz, it had, had the same effect for me as, as what you're talking about. Like, it, you know, I, I, I'm the same. Like, I've, you know, you know intellectually that, that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. Like, you, you know, and they'll have little moments where they – you know, the Clone Wars cartoon is, is full of that where he'll do stuff where you're like, that's Darth Vader, that is. But, like, it doesn't, <laughs> like, it, it, most of the time you sort of forget it. But and, and it does sort of seem like two completely separate people. But, um, but yeah, man, that this episode really, really brought it home to the point where, you know, mm. that they'll sort of always be, you know, linked now more so for me than they were before. Yeah. There's some there's some amazing effects moments in that fight as well as the emotional beats like the you know Obi Wan lifting rocks force yeah. is all about lifting rocks <laughs> and boy can he lift from rocks that was great and then the, this the absolute brutal bashing he gives to Vader's respirator control panel mm. 
you know, like uh, if there's any time to wish you had a double bladed lightsaber, that's the time <laughs> that you want one. <laughs> yeah, he's really laying into him before, you know, yeah. the, the helmet kind of breaks and, you know, he has that moment of sort of clarity, I guess, where he's like, oh, this is Anakin. Like, this is my friend yeah. that I'm doing this to. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then in the end, it's just what mercy, pity that he shows him by by just walking away and and leaving him. I mean, you know, obviously it's it's the second time he's done this. So yes. at a certain point it's like, you know, fool me once, shame on you. It, you know, fool me <laughs> twice, it's probably your fault a lot of people died. But it's, you know, what what do you think of Obi-Wan's decision to to leave Darth alive there? Well, I think that, you know, the first time he walks away and leaves him alive, he, he's roundly beaten him, but in his mind, he's still his friend, I suppose, mm-hmm. who's fallen. And I can understand him walking away and leaving him mm. in a way. And then this time- And I suppose, too, just on that, the thing that this show really clarified is that in his mind, he wasn't leaving him alive. Yeah. Because, you know, the guy is, is burning alive. He's lost all his limbs. He's on yeah. a volcano planet. Clearly, he is going to die. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't know that the emperor is going to show up, and you know. So, so I guess even though we sort of have always seen that as like, oh, he should have killed him when he had the chance, he left him alive, etc. It's like from Kenobi's perspective, it's like he he killed him. That's what he thought he did. Yeah, he just couldn't strike the blow because of the Jedi way, not mm. the Jedi way to execute an unarmed, literally. Um, <laughs> opponent i mean true but you could certainly argue in that in that instance it would have been the more compassionate thing to to do yeah yeah it would have saved you know everyone on alderaan for a start yeah <laughs> it would save lots of people who got their necks broken and dragged through the streets <laughs> yeah it would have saved a lot of people um that's right but but uh it's it's kind of a testament to obi-wan's um adherence to the jedi code even in this time this dark time of no jedi that he he kind of chooses the, the the hopeful, merciful path of walking yeah. away and and holding to his beliefs and not just cutting Vader's head off. You know, even when Anakin cuts Dooku's head off, he knows it's not the right thing to do. Mm. Mm. You know, the first thing he says is, I shouldn't have done that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Obi-Wan's the, the bigger man. He's got the moral mm. high ground here. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, interest, it's interesting that even with the knowledge that his friend is completely gone and is now a, a, a maniac, mm. um, he still chooses to, to leave him alive. Mm. Yeah. Did you like that little, uh, that, that bit of, you know, it's poetry, it rhymes with the, you know, my friend is truly dead. Uh, yeah. With Kenobi. Uh-huh. <laughs> there, was a, there was a bit of that going on in this episode. There was so much of it and, and it was great. And I I I love the um the way that you know Darth Vader saying you didn't it's not your victory you didn't mm. kill Anakin Skywalker I did really makes Obi Wan not a liar mm. when he's you know that was that was the first thing I thought of I I got yeah. like emotional in that scene for that reason I mean yep. you know the, uh, I suppose primarily because Anakin's just so creepy in that scene and it's so mm-hmm. sad to see you know what he's fallen to but yeah because because it's it but also that scene is is sort of redemption for obi-wan in a sense because it's like you know fans have been spending 30 years kind of going you know like great guy kind of a liar uh <laughs> and, and now it's like well 
this is he told Luke what you know what Luke's dad wanted people to believe. So yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> He's being a, a, the good guy mm. <laughs> from a certain point of view. From a certain so, point yeah. of view. <laughs> that was another brilliant um, stroke. The, this series has been full of stuff like that. Mm. I honestly can't believe that it's so well written. Like obviously. Deborah Chow, walk up start as a director. Like that was never yeah. in any doubt. But when I saw the names attached to to writing it, I was a little nervous because, you know, they've, they've had some hits, but they've had some misses, you some know? Misses, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, Joby Harold, who I guess is the, does the bulk of the work here, um, yeah. you know, he wrote things like King Arthur, the, the Guy Ritchie King Arthur, and yeah. um, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which, you know, I substantially enjoyed both of those, but they're not, like, critically acclaimed mm. on any level, are they? No. Uh, I, I could definitely say Army of the Dead wasn't for me. I never got around to seeing the, the Guy Ritchie King Arthur. But, you know, I, look, I'll be honest, you know, when I, when I looked at his filmography before Kenobi, that was the one thing that sort of gave me pause about the show is, you know, yeah. it's not a filmography that sort of inspired a lot of confidence. Yeah, and the same with Stuart Beatty, um, the story writer, wasn't he? And and he's he's done the first Pirates of the Caribbean and Collateral, you know, which were good. But he's also done the GI Joe sequel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I suppose and, at a certain point, that's that's probably most Hollywood screenwriters, though, right? Like they've all yeah, they they got to buy the big house with the, <laughs> the GI Joe sequel, and then they can do their passion projects. But speaking of passion projects, obviously the other guy who's involved with writing episodes five and six is Andrew Stanton. Mm. And last time he wrote some live action sci fi stuff, did not go well. Um, it was of course John Carter of Mars, um, which has its which has its fans. I mean, it's a you know it's a fine yeah. it's fun it's okay. But we've yeah, done a whole podcast about we've it. We've done a whole podcast on it. We've, we've dip into that. the archive. Yeah. yeah, but it, it was not the most successful, you know, would-be no. blockbuster of all time. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as an animation writer, he's amazing. Mm. So, you know, he would have done, done well in the prequel era. <laughs> 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 Sorry, yeah, it was, cool to see, it was cool to see his <clears throat> name on, uh, on mm. you know, attached to those, those last couple of episodes. Because I, I remember reading ages ago that he... Um, was going to have something to do with, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to find, I'm totally blanking on the name of the original uh, author of the, Hossein Amini. Uh, oh, yeah. So was the, the the first sort of screenwriter attached to this. Mm-hmm. And he was the guy where basically the, the consensus that Lucasfilm seemed to be that like, Maybe the script is too dark or whatever, and they yep. went in another direction. But you know, he's he's somebody else where we we don't know sort of who did what essentially, mm-hmm. and who, you know who who deserves which flowers. But um, look, props to everyone involved in in making this happen. I guess. Yeah, darker than this. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely the end of the episode. Uh, left us on an optimistic note, and that's kind of—I mean—that's one of the things when you, when you when you watch Revenge of the Sith. That's you know that story it takes such a dark turn, and then George still manages to sort of end it on an optimistic note. And this kind of managed the same trick, where you know um, Obi Wan's moment with Leia on Alderaan, and sort of hearing the Princess Leia theme, and then um, you know obviously Obi Wan on on Tatooine, and 
I mean, my God, the, you know, would you like to meet him? I was in tears, Baz, in absolute <laughs> yes. tears. The absolute scenes over here when that in that in that scene. Hello there. <laughs> and that's where we get that moment as well. And the origin and of you the... Knew, you knew as soon as he's like, would you like to meet him? You knew it was yeah. coming. You're like, he's going to yeah. say the thing. And I, I love the way we didn't see any of their conversation because that mm. kind of leaves that blank to fill in for anyone down the line who wants to investigate that. Yeah. Because I think it could be, you know, it could be a significant little conversation if it's one of the only ones he has with him. Yeah. Um, I hope, I kind of hope yeah. they don't fill it in. I, I hope mm. it's the, uh, you know, it's the end of Lost in Translation of Star Wars. <laughs> where we don't know what was said to each other. We don't need to. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, but we know he probably gave him the, uh, the, the toy anyway. Yeah, the toy. That's right. It's kind of fun that, um, that then Luke describes will be one in, in nine years time after this as the crazy old hermit <laughs> um, lives out beyond the June Sea. He once gave me a toy spaceship. The creep. <laughs> well, he's you know what? that, be- hasn't he? But he's still got the toy and he still plays with it, but he's he forgotten does. where he got it. He's forgotten it. where it came from, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> it was an it was an eventful few days for Luke. Yes, it was, yeah. And it, what a masterstroke knocking him unconscious yeah. and not having him see Reva and, yeah. you know, Owen and Baru telling him it's sand people and stuff. That was just brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and how about Owen and Baru, action hero? Oh, Huge yes. fan of that. Yeah. Very, very much so. And is that where Uncle Owen got his limp, do you think? Oh. Because uh, he's he's walking with a limp after uh, Reva throws him off the gantry at the, the tech dome. Um. And I think Phil Brown walks with a limp as Uncle Owen. Yeah. Certainly, definitely, yeah, he definitely walks with a limp in episode four. So maybe that's the origin of Owen's limp. Well, there you go. Yeah. They they really did think of of everything. Think of everything, yeah. But, you know, again, uh, Joel Edgerton, smallish part, but his his delivery of, you know, he is my own. Mm. Amazing. Just amazing. Mm. And again, just what a massive, massive stroke of luck that was that, you know, George Lucas could have cast any random Aussie soap yeah. actor for a couple of scenes as Uncle Owen uh, in Attack of the Clones and instead cast one of Australia's great actors who, you know, was still working 20 years later, still looked basically the same and, you know, was able to, to play a huge, a big role in this finale. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Uh, what do you think about Reva's fate then? Oh, I loved it. I love her whole yeah. arc. Um Mm-mm. I thought it was, you know, people sort of throw around terms like PTSD or whatever a lot, talking about fictional characters, but, like, they they really did um, sort of play that out with this character. Um, That was great, that moment where, you know, she sees herself in Luke um, and sort of stops herself from becoming, you know, Vader. You could argue, and this is what people have been debating with Vader himself for years and years and years, you know, is it sort of too little, too late? Like at a certain point, are you, you know, can you really redeem yourself after you've done a bunch of really, really, really terrible stuff? Um, But I like to think that, you know, at least this franchise's position on that is yes, you can. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Reva uh, definitely seems to have at the, at the end of it, this, uh, this episode. I think that's also the the Christian position on it, isn't it? Like you could yeah. do any number of horrific things you like, but as long as you <laughs> repent on your deathbed, like Darth Vader, you're okay. 
It's a get out of get jail to, free card. Yeah, yeah, you get to become a ghost and you're good. <laughs> Speaking um, of yeah, ghosts, Re- oh, Reaver no, was well, good. Sorry, it's um, it's it's so interesting to to remember that. I mean, this this didn't really occur to me throughout the whole series, but Reva's so young. When you think about it, she she was a youngling at the temple nine years before this, ten years before this. So she's she could only really be a maximum of like twenty. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. When you think about how young that character is and what she's been through already, it's um, it's makes her all the more remarkable. Mm. You know, yeah. to, to reach the heights of Grand Inquisitor at that age, and <laughs> briefly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And, and, and I like you know, I like that they some, like sometimes when when they when you see things being sort of retconned into existing stories or whatever, it feels kind of cheap, but. I thought in this case it was really smartly done how they kind of incorporated her into, you know, the Jedi Temple scenes in Revenge of the Sith um, and then sort of had this character as sort of the the representation of, you know, uh, like Anakin's guilt, I guess, and this terrible thing he he did. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, that the, you know, that she was able to sort of find some you know, redemption at the end there was was great. I mean, you know, they given this is a six episode series, and they had a lot of ground they were trying to cover here. Um, the arc that they wrote for her over the course of this um, show, and you know, the way that Moses Ingram played it was yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. What did you? My, uh, sorry, I was going to say I might. I have one weird little criticism of it. Okay. This last episode, and it's it's a similar problem that I, I didn't have many problems with the Last Jedi. I love the Last Jedi, but my problem with it was the the sort of lack of urgency of the whole chase that mm. frames the um, the entire movie there, and you have people sort of dipping out and and in from the chase, and you know we've talked about it in a previous podcast about how <laughs> these kinds of space chases where it's one ship pursuing another ship. There are many, many ways you could bring that to an end mm. really quickly, like launch a flight of TIE fighters that are faster than the ship you're pursuing, you know, slap a tractor beam on it, yep. call for reinforcements to head it off in hyperspace and, you know, all these kinds of things you can do. And that that's chase seemed to go on for a long time. That and is, Obi-Wan was in no rush to get out in his little dropship and he really you wasn't. know, he had to say goodbye to Leia and then he had to sit around for a while and talk to Qui-Gon and <laughs> like, there was no urgency in it. And it I just it took me out of the that scene. Um and then, you know, we're supposed to sort of believe that in the time that it took for the um for Vader's ship to to catch up to this ship and and, and you know, then tail Obi-Wan, Reva somehow recovered from a gut wound got a ship, gone to Tatooine, found Owen just in time for Obi-Wan to arrive and sort of stop her from, you know, after his climactic lightsaber fight. It it just, the, the timeline of it leaves a little bit to be desired. And yeah, I, I know that why they did it, it dramatically works fantastically on screen, but maybe it's a little bit, the, the timing is a little bit off. These these are all very valid criticisms and I, they're definitely things I thought about while watching the episode. I also just can't really care. Like, because as yeah. you say, it dramatically, it worked so well. I know. Uh, I'm the same. <laughs> you, you're, I mean, you're right. Like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really make sense. I, I did find myself thinking with the Reva stuff, 
but then but then I suppose no, this doesn't work because Obi-Wan sort of senses that Luke is in danger. But initially I was thinking maybe the Reaver stuff was actually sort of happening a little bit ahead of mm-hmm. what was happening with Vader and, and Obi-Wan and that Obi-Wan was going to sort of catch up with that at some point, you know what I mean? Like, but that that wasn't yeah. necessarily happening like exactly concurrently. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, I guess if you really wanted to justify it, you could say that Obi-Wan sort of, had a vision that Luke would be in danger rather than sensing that Luke was literally in danger right that second. Yeah. Um, and you could say that the, the Reaver stuff was actually happening later because then that would explain how Reaver had enough time to, to recover from a wound, get to Tatooine, and then Obi-Wan has enough time to get to Tatooine in the middle of a, you know, essentially a foot chase between Reaver and a, and a child. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so the, you can, I think you can make the timeline work if you really, really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you say, dramatically, it, it worked for me. Yeah, the the timeline in Star Wars has always been wacky with hyperspace. Oh, I mean, Empire is like a famous can, example, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like none of that makes sense. Like, how long was Luke on Dagobah? Like, and you know, people have come up with stuff to explain it. Like, oh well, you know, time moves slower on Dagobah because it's a force, yeah, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's maybe it's theory of relativity. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's all. It's you know, what's the What's the Harrison Ford thing? Like it's fake and it's in space. So yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe yeah, the theory of relativity explains all of this if we really. Want to <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and that, how nice was it to see Qui Gon at the end? Oh, so good! Yeah, and the great thing was so much had happened over the course of the episode, and that that scene with Luke was such a satisfying, like would have been such a satisfying ending if they'd brought up the credits then and there that I yep. kind of forgotten that, you know, we still had sort of Chekhov's Qui-Gon to, to get to, like that we, that we were <laughs> still going to see Liam Neeson at some point because they teased him so often through the series. So, yeah, mm. that was great when he when he popped up. Yeah. So, you know, in, in theory, um, Obi-Wan's watch has ended in a way. He, he feels like he maybe no longer mm. has to look after Luke and he can go off and learn the secrets of being able to turn into a ghost from Qui-Gon. Yep. Yeah. And have his hair go white and <laughs> and that's you know, that's his next ten years sorted. Um, unless something happens in the middle of that, unless Qui-Gon says, To learn the secrets, you have to go to such and such a planet. Yeah. And we've Obi Wan series too. Yeah. Please. Let's, let's get into this, man. I like so you want Obi Wan Kenobi series too? I, I want another Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I guess it doesn't have to be like series mm. two of this. Because mm. I, I think the great thing about this series is it's, I, I read a review. I read a, I think it was in The Guardian, um, where the suggestion was that Obi-Wan Kenobi's series, biggest problem is that there's too much Ewan McGregor in it. I'm like, what are you talking about? That, People are just saying anything. Man, yeah. I mean, this, in my mind, this was never, intended to be an ensemble series like in, in my head the mandalorian even though it's called the mandalorian and it follows the mandalorian is kind of an ensemble series there's so many side characters you dip in and out mm-hmm. and he make you know he, he's always making alliances with people and it's not really just about him it's it's more about all these other guys as well and look at the book of boba fett i mean two episodes went completely clear of boba fett and the other one's have been accused of not really focusing on him at all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this was always meant to be Obi-Wan's story. And it's not very often we see, you know, Star Wars is an ensemble 
piece of entertainment. Um, mm. It's not very often we see something solely from someone's tight perspective like this. Mm. And it's, it was really great to do that. So it's, you know, Reeve is a strong secondary character, you know, a, a kind of half antagonist, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Vader, the full antagonist. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have that little triad there, but that that's all it is. It's just Obi-Wan's journey from A to B to C to D. And that's kind of it. Um, I love that about it. And it's, mm-hmm. it really got us inside his head in a way that I don't think many other Star Wars properties have before as well. And yeah, I, it was an amazing performance from, from you and, yeah, and I loved, you know, the 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 arc of Obi-Wan we saw play out over the course of the series where, you know, early on in the series he has essentially given up on people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't really want to go out on a limb for anybody. He's got his own, he's got his, you know, his long-term mission of making sure that Luke grows up and can, you know, I suppose he's already sort of planning for Luke to one day fight Darth Vader, the Emperor, whatever. But he... He, he doesn't. He doesn't care about anything else, really. He doesn't think there's any hope, like in the sort of here and now. Um, and you see that change over the course of this series to the point where, you know, what's it? There's that great moment with him and Kumail Nanjiani where he just sort of says, you know, where Kumail says, "Ah, oh, you know, I don't know if the word of a, a fake Jedi and a con man means anything to you." And and Obi Wan Kenobi's like, "You, you know, your word is enough for me." And it's like that's changed so much from, you know, the the guy who was like, you know, people lie, Leia, or whatever, in, in episode, yeah. episode three or whatever that was. So, you know, I mean that's simple stuff, but it's 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 I think that was well done over the over the course of the series. Yeah. Um, and that and that whole um journey of his from that point to to the point we get to at the end is is sort of highlighted by Qui-Gon saying, took you long enough. Yes. You know, took yeah. you long enough to get your hope back. That's why I wasn't speaking to you. You needed to learn the lesson. Exactly. He became yeah someone who was sort of worthy of the lessons that, that Qui-Gon yeah. could teach him. And that's, that's I think, the biggest, like, when you look at this series and a lot of people were saying, you know, I've probably said it at some point, I don't know, uh, this, this thing's been in gestation for so long, you know, you kind of go, oh, well, like, what ground do they need to cover? Like, what do they really need to do that wasn't already covered in the prequels? Like, how much, you know, how fertile is this is this soil? And... You know, I think that was probably the biggest thing, right? Is like the Obi Wan at the end of Revenge of the Sith is is kind of a broken man, and then the Obi Wan at the start of A New Hope is sort of this Zen master. So it's kind of like how did yes. how did they get to be there? And then I think this show was that was you know the main focus of of this show, and I think it did a great job of sort of showing us that. Yeah, the Alec Guinness Kenobi is is like you know impish and. Mm. A bit playful and quick to smile, and mm. you know he's he's a yeah he's got it together, and uh, mm. it's it's kind of nice to see how we've got this guy on the journey towards becoming that now. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I um I definitely don't think we need another Obi Wan Kenobi series, which is you know if they announced tomorrow we were getting one, I'd be like okay sweet I'm you know son of a bitch I'm in. But but having said that, like I I think like. The the thing that worked for me so well about this show is that it was completely, well, self-contained is the wrong word for a show that relies so heavily on, you know, six other movies. But it it, it, it was relatively standalone, you know. Like they, they weren't sort of trying to promote anything else. Like they could do a Reva series 
They could do a, you know, what's his name? Ray, the uh, O'Shea Jackson uh, series. Yeah. Um, we could, we could get a young layer series. Like there's any number of ways they could do another series, but it didn't feel like the writers of this series were sort of banking on that as they told this story. Like, it, it, you know, if there's never another episode featuring any of these characters, I'm fine with that. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, I was going to say a Marvel thing, but all the Star Wars things now are like this as well. Like it wasn't a Marvel thing or a Star Wars thing or a DC thing or whatever, where like it feels like you're just being set up for the next thing. Uh, this felt like a really sort of satisfying standalone story to me. Yeah. Yep. Sure did. Um, I, I still just want to see more of you and McGregor though. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> That's right? all. Like, like I'm like, I love that this story was self-contained. And as much as before, I was like, well, you know, there was still ground for them to cover. I do think they're kind of running out of ground now in terms of not in, like there's still lots of stuff you could do with this character, but just in terms of like, you know, well, well, if we want this sort of this character's arc to complete, to see each sort of stage of it, then there are certain things we haven't seen. And now it's like, I feel like we've seen them. Um, so I, you know, in that sense, I'm like, I don't need another season of the show, but if they wanted to do like a fun Obi-Wan adventure where he goes and, you know, helps people on the path or whatever, like, especially now that, you know, if you've got this character and he's, he's sort of taken himself off Luke watching duties and he knows that there are these people out there who are sort of trying to, you know, run this underground railroad for force sensitive kids or, and, you know, families who are fleeing the empire or whatever. Um, it does feel like something he would get involved in a little bit more, maybe. So I, I I get that. Like I could see there's there's ground there's ground there. I He's earned it, himself a holiday now. That, that, yeah. that's and and I would even watch that. I would even watch. You know, <laughs> this is my friend Tika the Jawa, and we're going to take these two custom speeder bikes all the way from the Jundlin wastes to the end <laughs> of the Dune Sea, stopping in at Mos Espa to see the sights. <laughs> Over they the course of this series, <laughs> they should absolutely do it. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> give him a give him a uh, a speeder bike or whatever, and yeah, my god, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the biggest thing if they did another season um, that they would sort of have to wrestle with is I don't think you can have Obi Wan and Darth face off again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was so much of the appeal of this season. Like that was such that was that was the hook of this season when they were promoting it for like the last two years was like it's the rematch of the century it's Vader versus Kenobi again like it's Hayden versus Ewan it's you know like they traded so much off that and like just I mean you know you can do anything and they could bring him back for another season they could have them face off again but I don't feel like it would make sense like I feel like this is this is the place to sort of leave that relationship until we see them again in episode four. What do you think? Yeah. Maul's still around though. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's do that. Let's have a fight Maul one time before the final Maul confrontation. <laughs> but even that, like, did you get this? Oh, I suppose who knows, you know, but like in twin sons, it doesn't sort of feel like they've had any other confrontations that we haven't That's true, yeah. seen. Yeah. There must be other Darths around. Yeah, <laughs> just on that, I absolutely love that. And I suppose this is, you know, this is straight from uh, A New Hope. But I yeah. love that Obi-Wan treats Darth like it's Darth Vader's first name. Like, and it, like it's this kind of goofy name. Like, goodbye. 
dark. Off. Yeah. Like, and you know, like even in uh, you know, and you hope like only a master of evil. Darth, like it's sort of, it's like your friend who has a dumb name. Whereas, like, you know, obviously, like it's it's not a name; it's it's a title. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I say Darth all the time when I'm talking about Darth Vader. I caught myself doing it a bunch of times last on last week's episode. But like, um, it is sort of funny that this is a guy who has now fought Darth Maul, Darth (laughs) Tyrannus, is aware of Darth Sidious, and has fought Darth Vader, but still thinks that Darth is just like. Gary or whatever, like it's just a name that you call someone. Oh, yeah, I, you know, I never thought of that line that way this time. I, I keep thinking of episode four line that way, mm. but um, this one, the deliveries seem more like you know he was emphasizing that there's no Anakin left, and mm. and mm. also sort of spitting that title back at him, saying mm. you're a Sith now, you're mm. a Darth now. That's mm. all you are. Mm. Um, but yeah, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's like, I, I don't know. I think it's great, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. you're right. That probably, that's, that's a better, that, that makes, that makes more sense. I mean, that's definitely, you know, the read you get out of it, no matter what is, it's his way of saying you're not Anakin. Yeah. You know, whether he thinks Darth is his first name or a title, <laughs> that's definitely the, the point of that scene. But yeah, it's not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's a sad moment, but it's like, it does feel like, like, you know, 10 years from now or whatever, when we think of this series, that's the scene we're all going to think of first, right? Like that's sort of the scene that made this like a sort of essential part of like the Star Wars canon now, right? Is like seeing, seeing, you know, Hayden's face in the, in the Vader suit and and them Mm -hmm. having that confrontation. Yeah. And it did not disappoint. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to get all those insufferable people that got excited about that YouTube remake of the episode four fight. Um, <laughs> do you remember that? I mean, I don't, you know. I don't, <laughs> it's going to get them all excited. I don't know if I've ever actually seen that video, but I don't have a problem with, I don't like, it's just, it, it's like at a certain point, just the realities of, time and filmmaking or whatever sort of butt up against continuity. And this is one of those cases where like, you know, I I thought maybe in episode three, I thought they were kind of sort of winking at the idea of like, you know, when, when they had Darth sort of rake him through the fire, I thought maybe the point of that, I think um, Josh Chapman said this as well, when we had him on the episode, maybe where they were going with, with that was, was so that, you know, it was to explain away him not being as good a fighter by the time you get to a new hope, because, you know, he's also been, been burnt up or whatever. Um, clearly they were not going for that because in this episode, he's incredible. Um, so there's, there's no, like they didn't give us any sort of like in canon reason why they just sort of like, tentatively jabbing at each other by the time you get to A New Hope. And I don't think we need one. It's fine. Nah. It's a tiny enclosed space, than New Hope. It's a different, you know, if you really want to come up with some sort of, like, in-canon explanation, I'm sure you can do it. <laughs> yeah. they, they know that the, the tricks aren't going to work anymore, the, the, the rock throwing, and that they're both wise <laughs> the to it. Yeah. So they're just making tiny little moves <laughs> so that, you know, because that's the only thing that's got any chance of... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the okay, way through, yeah. in the prequel era was like the prequels, it's like, you know, Wuxia films or whatever where they're flying around yeah. doing all these tricks and stuff. And then the original trilogy, it's more of a samurai, you know, 
very limited sort of strokes, mm-hmm. but each one of them, you know, has a lot of weight and importance behind it. Um, and so that's kind of how, how I've always seen that, you know, sort of reconciled the prequel fighting versus the original trilogy fighting styles. Yeah. Um, trying to think if we've not covered anything that we should cover. Oh, there's probably loads of stuff. I mean, I loved that yeah. moment with uh, Princess Leia sort of sneaking Lola, um, you know, onto yeah. Obi-Wan. That was, that was a, a cute, uh, you know, it just shows this is a good kid, you know? Yeah, it's a good kid. And, and again, that, you know, the, the fact she puts the holster on and her mother loves it mm. as well, that just shows that she's in the right place and with the right people. And, and just on that, you know, when Obi-Wan tells her, what Padme and Anakin are like and she looks Mm. at you know her adoptive parents and she's like yeah I know because her mother and her adoptive mother and father are just like that as well Mm. Mm. you know it's it's yeah it's lovely moment yeah I also loved I I thought this is where you were going a second ago with the holster I loved biggest laugh of the episode for me was definitely like you know well you're 10 years old there I'm not going to give you a blaster when she's (laughs) when she's uh, you know disappointed that there's no there's no blaster in the holster (laughs) Yeah, she puts Lola in the holster, which yeah. is even better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it makes me sad, though. Where's Lola at the time of A New Hope? Lola must have been destroyed or something. That's terrible. Uh, I, 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 you know, my, like until we read a story where that turns out that's the case, I'm just going to assume she gave it to someone who was scared. You know, like at some point she grew up and didn't need Lola mm. anymore and she gave it to someone who did, just like she gave it to Obi-Wan in, you know, in, in this episode. Yeah. Maybe maybe Lola's body was destroyed, but there was just enough time to get her mind downloaded. Oh the God! To be four. <laughs> <laughs> don't you? Don't you go there, Callister. <laughs> I, w- I will say this is definitely you know, all things being equal, Solo was probably the the prequel thing I enjoyed the most out of all the various you know mm. the actual prequel movies. And well, no, that's not true. I don't know. They've all, they've all got their, their pros and cons. But for me, this now sort of stands alone as the best prequel. Is that your take on it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. And it's, um, it's, it's just another really, the, the whole dark times thing is a really interesting period mm. of the galaxy. And I'm kind of glad that the next show off the rank is set in those times as well. Mm. You know, the, the really pre-rebellion times of Andor, mm. which is nascent rebellion. Mm. And it's really cool. I love the idea that um, that is it. Roken, Shay Jackson's character, Roken so. is yeah. is is going to be a you know um, Obi Wan tells him people will follow him and don't give up, don't stop. You yeah. know, so um, I think maybe his work of saving Jedi might be more or less done, but his work of you know changing the galaxy might be just about to start. So he could end up being one of the rebel leaders, and because he's known to Princess Leia, maybe he could be one of the ones that instructs her on how to run a rebellion at some point. Mm. That would yeah, be quite nice, obviously. you know? Yeah. That would be cool if we saw him again in some sort of capacity like that. Yeah. Even yeah. if it was just in, you know, books or comics or, or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting though, like this, and this is sort of an inherent problem, I guess, with, with anything said in this kind of dark times era is like, ultimately that doesn't really go anywhere. Right. Like, it, you know what I mean? It's like we, we've sort of, we've rescued these four sensitive kids or whatever, you know, current horns out there somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, 
it doesn't like ultimately it's all on Luke, you know, and 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 Leia and the rebellion and so on and so forth. But like, but like none of these four sensitive kids like end up having any role in you know defeating Darth Vader and the Emperor and what have you. Although there could be you know still lots more stories to come where they, where they do end up growing up to do something meaningful, I guess. Yeah, I think they just need Luke to come along and train them before they can do anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. I guess so. That is that yeah. is the that is sort of for me the biggest like you know I love these stories set in this era as well for the sort of the reasons you were just saying. But like the funny thing to me is like the more we see of this era, the more it's like 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 you know it totally made sense in the context of the original films. But then but then the more sort of stuff you put into this time, it's like. I can't believe you guys just sat around and waited for Luke to grow up before you tried to defeat the Emperor. <laughs> like, you know, Obi-Wan's clearly still got it. Yoda's out there somewhere. You know, that we've got this whole path situation. There's other Force-sensitive kids out there. It just feels like you really, you put a lot of pressure on this one, you know, farm boy who didn't really have any idea what he was doing. Yeah. I d- there was a lot of... I think pre-criticism of this show that, that sort of said, well, what can Obi-Wan Kenobi possibly do? It's it's set in this time period. We know what happens afterwards. Mm. You know, we, no one can can die. No one can blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the, the stakes were amazingly high. Mm. You know, he, it was the, the stake was his positivity, his hope, his optimism for the future, his belief that things can still be done was mm. rekindled, you know, and that that kind of, that's the spark that, lights the fire under Luke ultimately. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, very, very important stuff. And, and yeah, you know, we knew that he wasn't going to kill Vader. Vader wasn't going to kill him, but, but it didn't diminish the, the duel in any way mm. or the series of duels that they had, you know, it was still, yeah, really tense, you know, for anyone who sort of has any criticisms of prequels for that reason, just watch better call Saul. You know, I, I would challenge you to find anything more tense on a weekly basis, despite the fact we know where these car- you know, where this character ends up. Mm. You know, it's still the journey is is edge of the seat stuff. Yeah, and I found the same thing about Obi Wan really. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I'm the same. That the fact that we knew, you know, obviously Kenobi survives and Leia survives and Vader survives and so on and so forth really didn't affect my enjoyment of the show at, at no. all. Didn't even know Leia was going to be in it till episode one. So yeah. Well, that exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was all, that was all gravy. hundred percent. Yeah. And then the, you know, they were sort of very smart about that in the sense that they, you have a character like Reva where you don't know anything about what's going to happen to her. We don't know, we, know. We don't, we didn't know where she'd come from or where she was going or anything. So you do. Yeah. As you say, you did have that wild card character in there. Sort of up the stakes and add that little bit of extra drama. Yeah. Do you think we'll see yeah. Reva again? I reckon there'll be a large, you know, a big call for it. So uh, mm-hmm. I think there'll be a good reason to see her again. Yeah. Um, I just think that, you know, the the last few, the last couple of series have been really well received, but this one I think is is something on a different level. And if if people are clamoring for more of it, I, you know, if you're a Lucasfilm marketing executive, you would say, let's give them some more of this stuff, you know? <laughs> so it seems you're, like a no-brainer. 
You're right. They'll, they'll totally do it. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy said today, you know, if people are clamoring for a season two, we'll do a season two. Um, mm. And people did are going to clamoring. I didn't see. Yeah, it. she did. And yeah. people are going to be clamoring for it, and they're going to. Oh well, I don't. I can't remember if she actually used the word season two or if she just said more. Um, mm-hmm. But either way, the, the message was definitely like, if people want more of this, we'll do more. I hope the form that that takes is like. Obi-Wan Kenobi remains like a limited series, you know, a six hour movie or however long it ended up being. Um, And then we get other limited series or even ongoing series sort of set in this same time period. Um, You know, like you were just saying, look at it from the perspective of, you know, a Lucasfilm marketing executive, Um, you know, to me, the no brainer would be a a Vader series. Uh, You know, people loved having Hayden Christensen back you can totally do that in a way where, you know, he doesn't have to be fighting Obi-Wan Kenobi again. There's a million other things you can have him go off and do. Mm. Um, you know, it would actually probably be good for Vader to have a series where, like, he can actually be successful once in a while. Um, yeah. you know, as opposed to, like, not being able to kill the rebels in Rebels, not being able to catch Obi-Wan in, in Obi-Wan. You know, it would be good for his rep um, if he had a <laughs> if he wins on the board. Uh, well, we got we got the we got Vader, we got Chrysanthemum. Uh, all we need now is Doctor Afra and the droids. That's right. We could just do that. Cool set. Just do uh, that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, we need a Qui Gon, a Ghost Qui Gon series. A Ghost. We could do that. Yeah, I think I think so. But yeah, Vader, I think, is the most obvious one um, mm. because also, like, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. But like, anytime Vader's on screen, you just like, well, this is Star Wars. You know, this is like Vader's easily the most iconic thing about Star Wars um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the most instantly sort of recognisable iconography. And, you know, obviously they, with the re-speech of technology, they've, they've got that voice at their disposal now whenever they need it because there's no way that's James L. Jones's actual performance we're hearing. Um, it just isn't. Like if you saw... Right at his age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, hopefully in the behind-the-scenes documentary, we'll find out more about how that was actually done. Mm. Um, so, anyway, it's, it, it, that's, it, you know, that's a character like the droids or whatever where, like, well, you know, even if the actor dies or whatever, you can just keep doing it forever because it's, just, it's a guy in a suit. Um, but it would be awesome to that why they did the Mandalorian like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> but it would be awesome to get, to get Hayden back and do another Vader series. Yeah. series and he said he's would, up yeah. for it, so... Um, and the other one is obviously, you know, we just talked about it, but the a Reaver series, I mm. think, because the Reaver, the exciting thing about the Reaver series, if they were to do one, is like it's sort of, you know, and I've got no idea if this is sort of how they uh, would be approaching it or not, but it's kind of almost like you could, it's, you know, it's been, it, it's another crack at doing the Ben Solo story. It's like Ben Solo done right. Like, I, I don't know, I always mm. sort of thought like the interesting thing to do with Ben Solo at the end of um, episode nine would be not to just have him do the Vader thing and like redeem himself and then die instantly, but like to actually have to like live with what he's done and work to make amends. Um, you know, whether that was in, you know, another movie or, or a TV show or a comic or whatever, but like keep that character around. And mm. I think that would be like a really interesting um, character. And now they can kind of do the same thing with Reva because they've kept Reva alive. Um, and like Kenobi said, you know, she's free now. Like she can choose who she wants to be. Um, and so you can kind of do the story of, you know, a, a, a dark, uh, you know, a, a, a dark Jedi who sort of turned back to the light, which I don't think we've really seen that as a sort of a main character. Um, 
before I'm probably forgetting a really obvious uh, example. But yeah, so I think that would be interesting. Mm, it would be, yeah. Um, cause, yeah, because she can, she can go anywhere. She can continue down the dark path and, and still try and get Vader. Or, you know, she can go off and, and she can do anything. She's in possession of very privileged information about mm. where Luke Skywalker is. And, you know, so how, how or if she uses that would be interesting as well. Like if, if I was Reva, I would sell that information to the Empire and just get enough money to <laughs> retire somewhere nice. <laughs> I feel like that, that might not, might not uh, gel with what we've just seen uh, of her. <laughs> in the, in the this, is, this is sort of, that's, that's such a good point though, because that's a great way to justify her not spending all her time trying to get revenge on Darth Vader, which does seem like a yeah. logical thing for her to do and does seem like sort of a narrative dead end, obviously, because we know, you know, she doesn't, yeah. doesn't get Vader. But that, like, that's an excuse to sort of take her as, as far away from all of this as possible. Mm-hmm. She could kind of go, like, I have information that, like, if anyone is able to, like, extract this information from me, um, is very bad for a lot of people. So, you know, maybe she goes off and has adventures in, you know, the unknown regions or whatever. Like there's, there's reasons for her to sort of take herself far as far away from this as possible, but still have some sort of, you know, adventure that would be worth following in, in her own show. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy that we've seen her go from, you know, throwing knives at people in cantinas Mm-hmm. Six episodes later, just breaking down in tears and regretting everything. Mm. But you know, I I honestly don't think that her issues are hundred percent fixed now. Like immediately, mm. like magic. Mm. I th- I still think she'll have bad days and she'll be a loose cannon and a bit dangerous. And you know, not just to those around her, but to herself. And you know, she's going to be a very interesting character if they choose to follow her. Like a you know, a, she's definitely got some kind of PTSD. Like mm. and and more, you know, psychopathy and all kinds of things, which I just don't think go away in a situation like this. Exactly. And I think that's why yeah. it would be so interesting to just be following that character because I don't, you know, I don't think she just immediately becomes like a, yeah, you know, completely morally, you know, uh, just, just a straight up good guy. I think there's still a bit of a, a journey there. Mm. Yeah. I've also I forgot to mention how cool it was to see Vader's castle and and the room he sits in in his castle and talks to Palpatine. Nice mm. to see him have a little cameo too. Yeah, oh, really good scene. That was that was a great scene, and obviously then um, you know hearing the Imperial March. Yeah, uh, this this show, this this whole thing has just sort of been an exercise in like the importance of you know patience because so many of the things that people complained about online or whatever were addressed in the show. It's like, you just had to, you just had to let the show finish guys. Like I remember one of the big ones was when uh, Vader appeared in episode three and so on. People kept saying like, Oh, where's the Imperial March? You know, this is ridiculous. And I'd be like, first of all, I loved the music that Natalie Holt came up with him instead. Like I think we talked in previous episodes, it's got kind of a sort of, you know, Terminator, like it suits this version of, of Darth um, maybe better than the Imperial March, but you know, of Darth. (laughs) <laughs> this evening, there you go. I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, so and it, it's and so like it's you know, but we were always going to hear the Imperial March at some point. 
Um, and and there it was in the in the finale, um, and, you know. And there were other. Th- I'm trying to remember them now, but there were other things people were like in the first couple episodes. People were like, oh, why don't they do this or whatever? And it's like they they did. You just had to wait an episode, and they covered this. Like there was a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> any other uh, any other thoughts on? I feel like we focused a lot on sort of the very end of the episode, so there's probably stuff that we haven't really talked about in there but uh one thing that early on when when obi-wan was um was on the ship and kind of you know talking about going to fight beta there was a second there where i thought we might actually like they might be setting up you know finally using that that sort of you know the earliest kind of concept art of vader fighting like outside uh you know, a spaceship like the, the 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 whole the whole reason Vader has the breathing mask to start with is because Ralph McQuarrie needed him to be able to survive outside outside the atmosphere of a spaceship. Because um, I thought for a second maybe Obi Wan was going to you know put on a some sort of breathing apparatus and just float over to the I don't know how the hell that would have worked, but I didn't realize that there was another ship on you know on Roken's ship that he could that he could take. So I'm like, how is he gonna? sacrifice himself here exactly like how would how would this logistically work i mean it ended up being much simpler than that because he, he could just fly fly away in the in the in the yeah. shuttle but um yeah I, I another that. another ship on which the hyperdrive is fully functional <laughs> yeah but they couldn't have all fitted on that <laughs> yeah but that could that ship have pushed the other ship i don't know uh yeah look good that's a good that's a good they have point. taken the parts from the hyperdrive on that one and put them i don't know <laughs> it, it definitely any time in Star Wars, one character is sort of saying <laughs> stuff, like, you know, like oh, the motivator's bad or whatever. It's like, yeah, it just feels like you know, it's just like, well, the story has to happen. Like, yeah, you know, there has to be some sort of reason why they can't just, you know, it's just like like Roken spends so much of that episode just sounding like a video game character giving you side quests or something. <laughs> like, did, did well, I need the thing to do the thing or whatever, but it's like. It's it's fine. Still, the coolest thing about him is Bowcaster. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. We. Do, I mean, that could be the other. You know, we we're talking about all the spinoff shows that could come out of this. Obviously, there could be a Roken uh, show as as well. And, and you know, would you would you watch a young Leia show if they went in that direction? Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Mm. I, uh, you know, the the thing with the cousins went nowhere in the end, really. <laughs> Uh, remember, I think we mentioned, didn't we? Theorize that maybe the cousins were behind, partially behind the kidnap plot, or oh, whatever. Um, that I don't think that even. Re- or was it? Maybe you, maybe you mentioned it in like episode one pod or something. I'd, I'd maybe totally I totally forgotten about that. Or maybe I was someone else I, I was talking to about. I don't know, but uh, yeah, the, I'd, I'd love to see a bit more of that antagonistic relationship <laughs> between the, <laughs> the wider Organa family. Yeah, I mean, well, as, you know, I, yeah, as you say, like, I just like to see more of the Organa family, I guess. I mean, I loved, you know, that moment you talked about before with with Leia kind of, um, you know, like acknowledging the, the similarities between her, her birth parents and her adopted parents. Um, mm. And just just generally, I really like that the, especially just this episode, it really sort of hit home that message of, you know, like an adopted parent is still a parent. Like it's it's no they're no less a parent than you know a, a, a biological parent essentially. Where I mean yeah. in Star Wars in particular, like they you know like when when 
Owen and Baru die, Luke is sad for like five seconds and then he's much sadder when, when Obi-Wan dies, you know, yeah. or, um, or uh, you know, we never even, even, even Leia, we don't really see her sort of thinking about, um, you know, her adopted parents much after, after the destruction of Alderaan or whatever. So it was cool to kind of see that in, in this episode. Yeah. That, that's reminded me of another little um filling in the gaps piece of information where uh, Obi-Wan says to her, you know, you can always call me for help, but, you know, we shouldn't tell anyone about mm. this. Mm. Um, which is why she says, General Kenobi, you serve my father in the Clone Wars <laughs> and doesn't mention anything else. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that. Um, I was like, is that why they had him say that? And then I was like, it probably is why they had him. It's 100% yeah. why they had him say that. Yeah. So doesn't actually fill that hole at all. Because by the time by the time you're sending you know messages to Obi Wan Kenobi saying hey you serve my father or I need your help with this or whatever like that ship has sailed you're not you're yeah, not well, trying to like maintain any <laughs> secrets anymore at, at that point um, but whatever I mean that, that that to me always sort of felt like that was a pretty explainable thing of like well you know she's got like ten seconds to record this message and like from Obi Wan's perspective the whole Clone Wars thing is probably a bigger deal than that one adventure they went on when she was 10 or whatever. So, you know, was there anything else like that for you that like that felt like it created, you know, like it created continuity problems rather than solving them by the time this series is over? Like, is there any little, you know, little things that went untied that, that you think now do sort of complicate your next rewatch of the original trilogy? No, uh, I can quite honestly say no. I've I've thought about this a lot, and I don't think I can think of anything mm. that complicates it. I I just find that this is it's full of little masterstrokes, at kind of um, painting in the little holes and not creating any further problems. Mm-hmm. You know, just the the whole from a certain point of view thing is now really satisfyingly resolved. <laughs> yeah, the, just made the, it when I left you, yeah. I was. When I left you, I was but the learner, and I am the master. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's great because you know when Vader buries Obi Wan, he he sort of you know walks off and sarcastically says, "Master," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, he thinks he's won the victory over his old master. So he's he's constantly at sticking in his craw, isn't it? He mm-hmm. he never got the rank of master, and he always wanted to beat his. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that that's fantastic. I love that. Just, yeah, there's there's so much. Uh, but the only I think the only thing that um, that's created a hole is yeah. Where's Lola? Where where's Lola go? <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't think of anything. I mean, there might be little things. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. The, but the layer knowing Ben thing, I don't think is a problem. And I think if anything, oh yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, it well, it, it just further. Um, you know, this series just just sort of gives another reason why she would call her son Ben. So that's that's good. Um, not that I, I don't think she ever needed one. I mean, Ben Kenobi sort of brought all of them together, and you know, played a hugely important role in her life, even if she had only known him for that one day or whatever. But um, but yeah, I that that worked for me. Uh, it was funny, you know. Obviously. I think in episode one or two when we did our, well, the first two aired together, didn't they? When we did our episode based on episode one and two, we were sort of saying like, oh, maybe maybe she's calling him Ben so that like at the start of A New Hope, it, it sort of 
allows her to not know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is, but to know who Ben Kenobi is, because, you know, it seems like when she's sending the message, she doesn't know him. But then when, when Luke shows up at the jail cell, she does. Um, but they didn't, that's not what they were going for. Cause obviously she knows his name is Obi-Wan by the end of the, the series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, that'll, that'll works fine for me. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. when are you going to rewatch all six together? Have uh, you done that yet? I haven't. Uh, time has not permitted. I would love to, yeah. weekend, honestly. I would love to just like, mm. I don't know, Saturday night or something, just sit down and, and watch all and watch yeah. all six. I want to do it in a theatre if possible. Like I, I hope someone, you know, I hope Disney ends up putting on a, a screening of all six because just to, to circle back around and maybe finish up on what you were saying at the start of the episode, um, yeah, this, this absolutely would have been like a theatrical event um, and it does show how those kind of boundaries have completely blurred and become essentially meaningless now. Like, like whatever Tyker's doing, which they've decided is a movie, like I'm sure it'll be great, but like I can't really see any, like on the face of it, there's no logic to like that's a movie, but this Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader story is a TV show. Like it feels like this could just as easily be a movie, you know what I mean? And I, I just yeah. recently I, I, there was an article can't remember where this was, but someone was sort of saying, you know, like, oh, Star Wars as a theatrical experience is dead. It's all about TV now or whatever. And I just, I completely reject that. Like, I understand that that Disney is obviously focusing on Disney Plus at the moment and that's, you know, building up that subscriber base and they're doing a ton of Star Wars shows or whatever. But the idea that Star Wars is, like, dead as a film franchise is it's just so, like, it's just people being dramatic or whatever, like Lucasfilm could turn around tomorrow and be like, we're doing episode 10, you know, Daisy's coming back. John Boyega's coming back. Oscar Isaac's coming back. We're bringing Ben Solo back from the dead or whatever. Only in theaters, December, you know, 16, 2024 or whatever. And people would be like, hell yeah, where do I buy tickets? You know what I mean? Like it, 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 the, the, the Star Wars as a theatrical entity isn't, Dead. It's just not what they're focusing on at the moment. But they could yeah. absolutely start putting out huge movies again, you know, if and when they they want to. Mm. Yeah, Taika's doing a movie, but there's there's no way he's not going to use the volume to film some of that. Mm. You know, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's the same kind of deal. Mm. May as well be a TV show, really. Yeah, I mean, um, exactly. It's yeah. like at what point is like I guess that'll have a bigger budget because it's a movie, but then it's like. Yeah. Does that even make sense? Like if Disney Plus is where they, is, you know, what they're focusing on internally or whatever, then like wouldn't that have just as big, I don't know, it doesn't, none of it yeah. makes sense to me. Um, Mandy's sitting watching Doctor Strange right now on yeah. Disney Plus, <laughs> yeah. you know, because she didn't see it in the cinema. Well, so, it, you know, I, yeah, exactly. I, I guess the, yeah, the, the theatrical experience as a whole is, you know, was dying during COVID. Well, hopefully it'll see a big resurgence now. Mm. Yeah. It's it's like there's two things that are sort of getting conflated where like, obviously, so Mandalorian comes out, what, the end of 2019 when Disney Plus mm. launches. Um, and that's, you know, Rise of Skywalker comes out that same year and kind of signals the end of the Skywalker saga or whatever. And so it sort of seemed like they were already like transitioning to TV. And then you have the COVID thing, which is like a whole other kettle of fish and so you've got these two like parallel you know we're moving away from movies kind of 
narratives happening at the same time. But yeah, I just think, you know, in terms of like, I wish I could remember the quote, but it was, yeah, something like, you know, like Star Wars is, is, is dead as a theatrical experience. It's like Star Wars is still the theatrical experience. Like Star Wars could still turn around tomorrow and be like, here's this movie, it's coming out on this date, and people would be lining up for midnight screenings. Like people yeah. went to see, um, like, you know, we talked about Josh Chapman before, people went to see this episode on like IMAX screens or whatever in, yeah. in Melbourne and probably in, in America as well. Um, so... Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm I'm looking forward to at some point one day being able to like you know line up for a Star Wars midnight screening again or whatever. But, oh yes. Uh, but you know this was this was pretty pretty awesome in the meantime. Yeah, we'll have uh, VR helmets or something at that point. We can do a <laughs> podcast from the queue. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing you you asked when I'm going to watch these these six together. Um, when do you think next time you do, you know, a full saga rewatch, which I have to admit, I have not done in a long, long, long time. Mm. Do you think you'll try and include Kenobi? Like is episode 3.5 now part of, you know, uh, now part of a full saga watch for you? Yeah, that, that's a good idea. Cause I've been thinking lately about how I'm going to get uh, the kid into Star Wars properly. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, he's going through a Transformers phase, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But like we've been, we've been watching. You know, we're not messing around. We've been watching the old 1984 Transformers cartoon because it's Incredible. all up on YouTube. So we've been, yes. you know, watching the stuff I watched when I was a kid. Yes, um, which is which is a cool way to do it. So you know, I've been thinking have about you, have you traumatized him yet with the 1986 movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched <laughs> we watched that twice. One Sunday, we watched it twice. He was sort of half paying attention to it the first time. And then as soon as it ended, it's like, I want to watch that again. Okay. <laughs> but he wasn't sad <laughs> about Optimus dying or anything? No, I don't think he really sort of got that yet. Didn't really but, process uh, it, yeah. I've, yeah. I've had a job ahead of me, like, explaining that, yes, Optimus Prime is the leader, but, you know, he gives the Matrix to Ultra Magnus, who's then the leader, but he can't use the Matrix, so he has to give it to Hot Rod, who's <laughs> the next proper leader. And, and he's like, so they're all the leader? Well, yeah, sort of, but at different times. Okay, so now he's got his Optimus Hot Rod and Ultra Magnus all lined up at the front of the troops um, <laughs> because he thinks they're all the leader. So, yeah. But just think, like, if he gets his head around this at such a young age, he'll be able to understand, like, Australian politics so much easier <laughs> when, when it's time. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, I've been thinking about how I'm going to do Star Wars, like, I've already I've thrown on Phantom Menace, but you know, not that interested in it quite yet. But mm-hmm. maybe in a couple of years, yes, definitely will be. Um, so I'm thinking maybe I just start from episode one, two, three, and then throw in some Obi Wan stuff or some cartoons or you know Clone Wars cartoons or something like that, and then dip on to the the next trilogy. Mm. I don't know how that sounds. Mm. We'll have to see. Because I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of torn between that and start with episode four and then just go, well, okay, everything after this has spun off from it and here's how it all fits together, you know, or you just do it chronologically. I think I'd start, with, I think if it was me and, you know, it never will be in this situation, but I think I'd, I think I'd, <laughs> I think I'd start with episode four, um, you know. Mm. I, think I'd, I think I'd just do it in release order. Like, yeah, I yeah, totally yeah, get, probably. I get the temptation to do, you know, like some other order or whatever. And there's fun, lots of, lots of fun little tricks you can do with it. But I don't know. I feel like 
I'd be I'd be too OCD to do it in anything other than just <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Anyway, lots lots to ponder. Lots for you to lots for you to think mm. about there. Obviously, yeah. I'll I'll prepare a spreadsheet and we'll yes. You know, we'll do we'll do a podcast on it at some point. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we'll obviously be back to talk about uh, well. Cassian Andor, the 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 Andor TV series when that comes up in August, um, but I believe we have some things we'll be we'll be doing in the some other topics we'll be covering in the meantime as mm-hmm. well. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us at we are at Force Material on all your social media channels. Or you can drop us a line at forcematerial at gmail to let us know what uh, what you thought of Kenobi. I'm Ron Williams. I'm Baz McAllister. And you've just taken your first step into a larger world. Goodbye there.